So lately I've been fascinated by stories that leave you hanging. You know when you're watching a movie and the credits start to roll and you're thinking... What on earth? No. <laughs> Why is that happening now? And if you're watching it in a theater, you're walking out of the theater and part of you feels uneasy. Some of you even feel like you got ripped off, right? Because there's no satisfying ending. Well, it turns out the Bible on your lap is full of these kinds of stories. Unfinished stories. Stories that are clearly going somewhere but always leave you longing for completion. So last week we discovered that Nehemiah, the entire book of Nehemiah is one of these stories. If Nehemiah was a movie, if it was a VeggieTales even, okay, if it was a movie, we would all finish the movie feeling uneasy. We would think to ourselves, what kind of ending is that? We all want closure. And so many of the stories of Scripture just simply don't give us closure. Well, our passage this morning is just like that. Ezra chapter 3. So let me show you what I mean. Uh, Would you follow along as I read, starting in verse 10 of Ezra? And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, imagine this, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. Imagine, again, you have to picture this. They shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They're building the temple after it had been destroyed. So this is the second temple in the history of God's people, the house of God. And they lay the foundation, okay? And so let's pick it back up in verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. This is God's word. Lord, would you speak for your servants are listening this morning? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love being a dad to a three-year-old because I get a daily picture of an emotionally expressive human being. A daily, hourly picture of an emotionally expressive human being. In the, t- in the time span of 60 seconds, I can watch my three-year-old go from full-tilt disappointment to full-tilt delight. In 60 seconds time, sometimes less. I mean, his emotional flexibility, we'll call it that, (laughs) has to be seen to believe. 
to be believed. Now, I've shared this before, but I struggle here. I struggle with emotions. I can't find them with a flashlight, first of all. And then when I do find them, I banish them to the dungeon of my soul so that I will not see them, so that I will not feel them, and Lord, Lord knows, not express them. Because who would do that? But this is a problem. Peace Cazero says it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So we can have Bible encyclopedias walking around the church. We can even have prayer warriors walking around the church. But emotionally, we're a mess. I'm not saying my three-year-old is sort of the picture of emotional health, okay? I'm not saying that. But he does run laps around me in his ability and freedom to express delight and disappointment. Both. Maybe that was true of me at three three years old as well, but I think in the intervening 30-plus years, I've somehow uh, lost the ability to express deep Disappointment. And deep delight. Disappointment and delight. So I drew a line with two arrows, okay? Disappointment and delight to me exist on the extremes. And what I like to do is sort of cut off the extremes. And live in the middle. Amen? Anybody with me here? Just sort of live in this mushy middle, which is where I live. I wonder if that's where you live. I mean, perhaps we saw unhealthy expressions of these extremities. I think we all probably did. And so that's why we live in the mushy middle. Maybe we're afraid that God will curse us if we express disappointment in Him. Or his providence. The story he tells in your life. And so we don't go near that. We don't go near that emotion. Or maybe uh, these extreme emotions on either side uh, sort of feel like Calvin and Hobbes, right? You feel out of control. And that's your biggest idol in life. The God that you actually serve, which is control. And having everything under your grip. And the extremities of emotions sort of take you out. And so in the church, I think we often opt for what I'll call like an emotional Novocaine. Before God and especially before others. But the picture we get in the scriptures... It's so different, okay? The picture we get in the scriptures is so different. If we were to draw a picture, and I'm borrowing from Jamie Smith here, of who we think the Christian is, the ideal Christian, many of us would draw a giant head on a stick figure. And we say that is the picture that God gives us for humanity, for men and women. Mature men and women in the Lord is a giant head with a stick figure. But the truer picture of what Scripture presents is, yes, we have heads. We do think. We reason. We we embrace truth with our minds. But we also have hearts. In fact, the heart might even have, I'll say it, primacy. 
God gives us a new heart when we're saved, after all. And did you know that in the middle of your Bible, right in the middle, the heart of your Bible, is a collection of 150 songs that command us to express the extremes of delight and disappointment. The Psalms. And if you read the Psalms, if you if you just read, I think point like close your eyes and point to any of the Psalms, you will discover this emotionally expansive world. I mean, just the other day I was reading Psalm 30, and you could turn there if you want, but just listen along. I'll just read a few verses. So verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Verse 7, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. And so there's an emotional expression of, of, of security and joy. And then the very next line, it says, You hid your face and I was dismayed. Delight to dismay in seconds. And then verse 11 says, You have turned for, my, uh, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Mourning... To dancing. I don't think I've ever been to either side of those two words. So how could the Lord turn me from mourning into dancing when I never mourned and I've certainly never danced before the Lord? Okay, so there's there's an expansiveness in the in the Psalms. And the truth is I could pick any psalm in the Bible and we would see God asking us to express to him the full array of of human emotions. Calvin, not the Calvin we just saw, but the other Calvin, John Calvin, okay, he said this. He called the Psalms an anatomy of all the parts of the human soul. And so like med students study Gray's anatomy. Is that what you still study? Gray's anatomy? Anybody? No. No. We've gone far better than Gray's anatomy. What's the new anatomy book? Netter. Netter. So like med students study netter to understand the human body and what's in it. Christians study the Psalms to understand the human heart and what's in it. And moreover, it shows us and it invites us. God actually says, bring them to, to me. Now, early in my Christian discipleship, I was told, don't even go near your emotions because why? They're unreliable and we need to anchor down into truth. And part of that warning is very healthy because if we are simply leaning into our emotions as a reliable guide to reality, that's one thing. But emotions are a reliable guide to what's going on inside of you. And we are invited to bring it to God. As He shapes our emotions and guides us to become more truly human. Psalm 40 has disappointment and delight. Verse 1 of Psalm 40, How long, O Lord? Just four verses later, My heart shall rejoice. How long, O Lord? That's a lament. My heart shall rejoice. That's delight. So, why are we, why are we studying this? Well, this is Advent. 
Okay, This is Advent. This is a season in the life, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, where if you were with us last week, you learned that Advent is a season of tension. It's a season of tension. So we heard this quote from Fleming Rutledge. She writes, the church lives in Advent, and that is to say the church lives between two Advents. Jesus Christ has come, and Jesus Christ will come. Two Advents. Advent means coming. And we live between the two Advents, she writes. Now we do not know the day or the hour for the second Advent, she writes. And I love this line. If you find this tension almost unbearable at times, then you can understand the Christian life. And there is a tension in the passage that we just read from Ezra chapter 3. If Nehemiah, which we just finished, is all about the building of the wall in Jerusalem, Ezra, which comes before, is all about the building of God's house in Jerusalem. And so the first few chapters of Ezra... We launched in in chapter 3. The first few chapters is a build-up, almost a crescendo to that great moment when the house is built. When the foundation is laid down. And so if you look at verse 1 of chapter 3, you see that they finished the altar of the house. And then in verse 10, where we picked up, they finished the foundation. And you would expect at the finishing, at the completion of this foundation, a great celebration. And that is exactly what you get. In verse 11, you hear this great shout. But then in verse 12, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. Did you catch it when it was being read aloud? Did it surprise you? I love how the New Living Translation translates these verses, starting in verse 12. You can listen. It says, But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. So you have weeping and rejoicing in the same room. Verse 13 says, The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard far into the distance. So disappointment and delight. Both were mingled together. And so if tension is what Advent feels like, This mingled sound is what Advent sounds like. Advent teaches us that the story is not over. The second Advent has not yet happened. Which then teaches us to embrace both disappointment and delight. To embrace those two realities in our lives and express them to God. So let's take a look at both. We'll just start with disappointment. So disappointment, I think since the story is not yet finished, since the story is not yet completed, there will be a lot, a lot, a lot of disappointment in your walk with Jesus. I don't know if anybody has told you that before, but I'm honored to tell you for the first time. I'm honored because it's reality and it's what scriptures say. 
the life of the Christian is often disappointing. Because the story is not yet finished. I mean, the Bible is so realistic. When God's people finish uh, the foundation of God's house, right? God's house has been raised to the ground, destroyed. They're brought back from exile, and they finish the foundation of God's house. And you would think that whoever compiled the scriptures and wrote the scriptures, that they would sort of X out the weeping and the wailing. That's inappropriate. Come on. God is doing a great work, right? But no, it's right there under our nose. And it's amazing. The older generations here are so disappointed that they weep aloud. They knew and they had a a, a sort of a mental picture of what Solomon's temple looked like. And the thing that just was built paled in comparison. It would be like this. Could you imagine uh, if the Notre Dame Cathedral in France was rebuilt to look like the Metro School? I know some architects in the room just died a little bit. (laughs) That would be a little disappointing. So this is bold in my mind because everybody else is singing in this scene. I mean, it's an honest moment, isn't it? I mean, uh, it's been recorded in Scripture, I think, even as an invitation to be bold and to express disappointment, even when... You're in the midst of a happy church setting. Okay, so I've been in church settings a lot of my life. And most of them are uh, light. Lots of laughter, lots of lightness. And that's a beautiful thing. And then a person shares with tears a heavy thing. An honest thing. Their struggle. Let me just say, it is not weird. It is not wrong. It is right. It is beautiful. It is spirit-filled. It is transformative. And I hope your church settings, your home groups, get to experience that. See, the church should be a place to express disappointment. And we get that exactly backwards, don't we? We come here and we place our disappointments at the door. Our disappointment with our circumstances, our disappointment with others, our disappointment with God. So what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you this Advent to kick open the basement door of your soul where you've banished your feelings of disappointment. And I want you to embody and honor these elders in this passage and express them to God. You're allowed to cry and weep and be disappointed. But I also want you to engage your disappointments. To challenge them. The prophet Haggai, he prophetically challenges the disappointment expressed in Ezra chapter 3. So to be completely fair to the whole council of scripture, we need to hear this prophetic challenge. Because what does the prophet Haggai say? I'll put it behind me. He writes, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Speaking of the temple. 
How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And here's his challenge. Yet now be strong. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Or the prophet Zechariah in verse 10 of chapter 4 says the same thing. He says, do not despise these small beginnings. Speaking of the small, unimpressive temple. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. To see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So what I want to encourage you to do is to be a poet and a prophet. What do poets do best? Poets express reality best. The reality of their soul, the reality of the circumstances in their life. Be a poet before God. Express, locate, hone in. But then also be a prophet. Speak into your disappointments. Preach the gospel to yourself. Even as you express disappointment. That really is the tension, that's the mingled sound of Advent. The story is unfinished, so we will be disappointed. But there's a second point. There's real delight in the story of God. This is God's story. It is heading somewhere. And He gives us all kinds of grace and mercy and gift in the midst. And so we delight as well. We experience full-on delight. And, we are, and God is inviting you, I believe, to express delight in the midst of real disappointment. I mean... There's another book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes. That's really what Ecclesiastes is after. The book of Ecclesiastes is all about setting a sturdy table like this in the midst of fog and smoke. The constant refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes is everything is hebel. Hebel is a Hebrew word that means vapor or smoke. And so the image that Ecclesiastes gives all of us is that life, as we live it, life, because it's fallen by, and broken by sin, is as if we are corralling smoke. Building buildings with vapor. Controlling and grasping things that just go away. That's smoke, that's vapor. And the point is, there is a sturdy table in the midst of a life of vapor. And Ecclesiastes is saying, you can delight in good food. You can delight in God's people. You can delight in simple, earthly things that God gives you. Yes, you can even delight in the future deliverance of God. The the whole book ends with a picture of God coming to make all things right. And so God is inviting us in Ecclesiastes to express delight in the midst of real disappointment. And that's what we see in Ezra as well. In Ezra, the the joy and the delight, I think, is the gift that the youth give in this particular circumstance. Did you notice there is an age gap here? It's the youth who are rejoicing and it's the old Older folks. I won't say old folks. That sounds harsh. The older folks. The scriptures have a high view of older folks, just to say. They really do. They really do. Amen? They do. And I'll get serious for a minute. We don't, as a culture. Scriptures do. Okay, that said, they're weeping. And that's their gift to the church. 
And I think the, the rejoicing of the youth is their gift to the church. There's a real hope, there's a real joy, there's a real optimism that they are able to tap into and express. God's promises capture them. And that creates the mingled sound of disappointment and delight. On Friday night, I was at the local Young Life Christmas party, and I have to say I love hanging out with Young Life leaders because they are so good at celebrating God's goodness in the midst of what is often rock-hard soil. I, I sometimes get text updates and prayer requests, and they're always celebrating what God is doing, even as they share difficult things. And I think there are two kinds of people in God's kingdom. I think there's partiers, and we'll call them processors. Guess which one I am? I'm a processor. Guess who God had me marry? A partier. We need both. We really need both. We need, we, need, we need both. Because I'm a processor, I need a partier and vice versa. And let me just encourage you to do the same thing with delight and disappointment. You need both. Embrace and express delight in God's gift. Do uh, what's been called a daily examine at the end of your day. An examine is where you're simply sitting down or, or just laying in bed and you press rewind on your day. And then you stop the tape at certain parts. And as you stop the tape, certain parts in the last day that you just lived, pause at truly good moments, gifts, and say thank you to the Lord. And this can be hard sometimes if you're in a hard season. I love what Ann Voskamp says. She writes, when I give thanks for the seemingly microscopic. Wow, the seemingly microscopic. She writes, I make a place for God to grow within me. Which brings me to our third point this morning. Learn to embrace and express both disappointment and delight. We explore disappointment, we explore delight. Now I'm thinking about what that would look like if we made space for both in our heart. I mean, this is the mingled sound. This is our mingled sound, according to Ezra. And if I could draw a picture of what this looks like, and I actually did, don't judge. It'd be two knobs. Both turned to ten. I mean, I love the last line of Ezra chapter 3, the last line that we read together. Because it says that the mingled sound was heard far away. It was heard far away. And I love thinking about this mingled sound as being the unique accent of God's people that is heard far around. You know, when people hear our church talking, they should hear our delight at level 10 and our disappointment at level 10. Both. Again, Voskamp, she writes, the secret to joy is to keep seeking God where we doubt He is. Wow, the secret to joy is to keep seeking God where we doubt He is. This is our accent, minor and major key. Sadness and grief, as well as joy and celebration. 
Have you ever noticed that our best art, whether it's visual art or writing, um, sort of has this mingled accent of delight and disappointment? Have you ever noticed that before? Uh, Minor and major keys, brutal realism about how life is, but also beautiful hope at the same time. Uh, I actually gave myself a challenge this past week uh, to open my eyes to artwork that has both. Artwork that sort of has the two knobs turned to ten at the same time. And I started writing on a piece of paper all of the artwork, all of the creations that we have made as humans that sort of get at this tension. And there were too many to mention. It sort of overflowed the page. But, but, but think of it all. Just consider it. I think of the, the, the spirituals in the slavery south. They have both a deep disappointment as well as a deep hope that has been unmatched in all of songwriting since. I think of poetry, some of my favorite poets like Wendell Berry, Scott Cairns, like they all get at this tension of realism and hope. The best art has what Hans Hoffman calls the push-pull effect. The push-pull effect uh, where there is a strain. I hear this in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Do you know the song? It's like super somber. Right? It's a really somber song. And yet, there's that moment where it bursts into rejoice, rejoice. And that, to me, is the encapsulation of both knobs turned to ten. So, Christians, Advent gives you an accent. An accent like that that we read of in Ezra chapter 3. But honestly, our accent, because we live between the first advent and the second advent, is even more pronounced. For them, they were waiting upon the first advent. For us, we have the first advent, and yet we're waiting for the second advent. And so what we have in the first advent when Jesus came, when he accomplished what he sought to do, when he, when he broke down Satan, when he defeated Satan, when he died for our sins, when he rose for our resurrection, when he did all of that and ascended into heaven, when he did all of that, he left us saying, I will return. In the meantime, get busy on my mission. And by the way, it's better that I leave because you are going to get my Holy Spirit. And so what I believe is that our accent actually gets deeper. Our our ability, in other words, to express disappointment is more pronounced as well as our ability to express delight because of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I see it like this. An oxygen tank and a pressurized cabin. Let Let me just tell you what I mean. The gospel that Jesus loves us as sinners is like an oxygen tank. We can go deep, real deep, and we can look at the darkness. I would encourage you to look at the Fleming Rutledge quote at the beginning of your worship folder uh, at some point today. You have the ability to go deep and look at darkness because you are in Christ. You know the depths of sin and what sin can do. And yet you also know forgiveness and resurrection power.
that's your oxygen tank. On the other hand, we also have a pressurized cabin. We can go to the heights of joy because of what Jesus has done for us. And not be shallow in that joy. A deep-rooted, rich joy that's anchored in Jesus. Not circumstances. And that is our mingled sound. We are, I believe, an answer to the weeping prayers of the older folks in this passage. They are weeping for a greater temple. (laughs) Think about this. Did you know 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5 says two things to us. Peter says Jesus is the living temple. The living temple. So what the older folks in this passage are weeping for is is a better temple. And Jesus, according to Peter, is that better temple. Peter says something else in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. He also says we are the living stones of that very temple. We have the Holy Spirit, God's presence in and among us. And because of that, we can go deep with our disappointment as much as our joy. That is our mingled sound. Until He returns. Come Lord Jesus. Let's pray.